Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. And Ryan, let's start with Monday afternoon, a makeup game for Cleveland against the Kansas City Royals that ended up being Cleveland's last home game with the Indians moniker. And Cleveland won that game 8-3. to three. So you were there. I, I walked down since I lived nearby and went to the game just you know, not not covering it or anything, but um, I know we both talked to the day of about what we were observing and, and things like that. And obviously the pictures that are in your story that came out today, one of them was of the of the team shop and how that was basically kind of pretty much emptied out. And I thought that was certainly interesting as they, you know, get ready to bring that new Guardians gear in for, to kind of gear up for next season. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever seen the team shop um, quite that picked over. Um, and it was, you know, the last game of the year. Um, so that isn't too unexpected, but I think to the degree that it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty clear that over the, over the last weekend, kind of in this era of, you know, Cleveland baseball, um, with everything that's coming up, um, yeah, there, there was not much left. There were like a couple of racks of t-shirts and, um, very, uh, selective sizes. Um, not, there's, there's wasn't much left. Um, it was, it was, it was pretty picked clean. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, the atmosphere was, was interesting. You know, obviously the team name and the change, um, that was, that, that has been announced and that is upcoming. It's, it's been very divisive, uh, amongst the fan base, you know, for, for a lot of people, they felt, um, that this, that this change was long overdue, um, especially with the logo. They felt like, like that was long overdue. Um, a lot of people are, are glad, um, you know, to, to see the change and, and to see kind of the, the, the set move forward. And, and then there are a lot of people who have been, uh, pretty upset and pretty vocal about, um, just being a, against any change and, um, and kind of not wanting, um, to see this kind of change. And so for, for a lot of people that came out on, um, on Monday, because the rainout ended up being the last one, which is kind of a, a, a strange situation because everybody was gearing up for Sunday, um, and then the rainout made Monday kind of the day. Um, you know, it was pretty clear that, you know, for a lot of people just wanted to be there, um, before the, the change made and just kind of, you know, as, as this kind of new era of, of Cleveland baseball takes over and, um, you know, they, some people were, you know, changing the team name and, uh, there were a, a few signs, not, not many, um, you know, the crowd itself, uh, was probably a little bit bigger than what you would have expected for a, a Monday 1 p.m. start, also on short notice. Um, but in terms of, you know, signs and stuff like that, there, there were a few, but, but not many. Um, but, you know, there, there were a few players that said that they, they just in general, uh, uh, appreciated the, the, you know, the support and kind of the, the energy that was brought in. Of course they won. So that, you know, that helped things as well. But, um, yeah, yeah there are quite a few people who, who wanted to be there, um, just kind of as this change takes over. Yeah, and I know the the crowd was one of the things that we talked about on Monday. Like, I, I literally decided last minute to go. I had finished the story, turned it in, and I was like, I'll take this as my little break from writing a second feature story that I had due this week. But um getting there, I was shocked to see people in the upper deck. Like, I did not think for a 1 p.m. Monday start that there would be that many people that uh, the upper deck would be open for people to have bought tickets and go and sit up there, but um, definitely more people than than I thought would be there. Um, even though I'm like, some of the pictures I took, some of my friends were like, "It looks empty," and I'm like, "No, like there's way more people here than I thought there was going to be." Um, 
And I do agree with you. You know, I think if if this wasn't the last game as the Indians at home, I don't think that maybe there would have been as many people there since it was so last minute and everything like that. But um, yeah, and there there was also a moment where the players, I know you had video of it on your Twitter, emptied out of the dugout right after the game ended and and sort of acknowledge the crowd, which I, I think personally was less about the, the name change and more about it just being the last home game. I, I, I don't know. Is that like kind of a fair assumption on my part to, to make there? Yeah, that was that was a an acknowledgement of a of a, a season long yeah. uh, support, um, especially for a season that, you know, as we've talked about, was just it was just derailed by injuries. Um, you know, there was just there just wasn't enough. um well, it's 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 strange to say, you know, you you can say that there wasn't enough pitching, but really there wasn't enough pitching that was ready. Um, you yeah. know, there's there, there's so many younger starting pitchers on the forty man roster, but there wasn't enough, you know, of, of a, a established veteran presence behind all of the guys who got hurt to kind of make up for it. And um, and so, and so for, for the last few weeks, for the last few months, it's been pretty clear that you know while it wasn't official until last week, uh, that you know the, the the playoffs were were going to be a a, a really uh, you know, uphill climb for, for a team dealing with, with everything that, that this team had dealt with. And, and it wasn't just the rotation. It was also, uh, Fred Reyes getting hurt. Um, Roberto Perez missed, missed some serious time. And, you know, he, he's in a, a different situation, you know, as, as we've kind of talked about. And, um, you know, there's just a lot that, that went wrong and ended up just being too much for Cleveland to really, really challenge for a spot, uh, in September. And I think, you know, coming out for the dugout is an, an acknowledgement and, you know, thank you for the, for the support from the, from the home fans, especially also through a pandemic where coming out to the ballpark for, for a lot of people was a, was a difficult thing and, and something that they, they, they wanted to be careful with. And so whether it was, you know, at home or, um, remotely, you know, just all of that support, they, they just wanted to, Acknowledge that, and there, there were a couple of players, and Demarla Hale, who also talked about how that was just kind of a, of a nicer moment that that they wanted to, you know, to to, to end on end yeah. the season. With. Yeah, and it's funny, like I mean, you and I have both in the last year filled in for Marla Ridenour on our Cavs coverage occasionally, and like the way you're talking about the the pitchers and being having young pitching that maybe wasn't necessarily ready, and they're essentially trying to win while learn on the fly. Um, that, that to me is a lot like the, what we heard the Cavs talk about a lot last year, that they have all these young players and trying to, to learn and, and get better and do all the, all the things you have to do to be successful in professional sports while, um, you know, still trying to, to win and, uh, not always an easy, an easy journey. But, um, to last couple of points from Monday's game, which Cleveland did win eight to three. I can't remember if I said that before. Um, just a fun stat. Bradley Zimmer's home run off of Kyle Zimmer in that game is only the fourth time since 1904 that a player has homered off of his brother. And Ryan made a terrible dad joke about this event on Twitter that he must now publicly answer for because it was heinous. So tell your, tell the joke and just tell it because I can't even, I don't even want to be associated with the joke. So for a quick behind the scenes thing, we have a, a Google doc that we go off before this pod. And while reviewing it right before the pod, I kind of missed this bullet point <laughs> that you were going to do. <laughs> and so, okay. So Bradley Zimmer on Monday hit an absolute rocket of, of a home run off of his brother. And it's really the first time that he's really gotten Kyle like that. Um, at least at, at, at this level. 
And so I made a joke that Bradley could bring it up at Thanksgiving dinner, or if Kyle asked for the mashed potatoes, Bradley can ask, what, do you need them past like 408 feet? Ha ha, ha 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 ha. And I'm just, so I sit next to Zach Meisel in the press box. And as soon as I tweeted it, I hit send and just immediately like buried my face in my hands because of how stupid it was. And I just waited for him because I knew that he was going to see it. I knew he was going to comment on it. And we, we were kind of joking about it because it's just what a stupid tweet. <laughs> but hey, whatever. I hit send. <laughs> uh, we were, we were kind of joking about it. And then Mandy, Mandy Bell of MLB.com in the press box also tweeted that she could see me. I was smiling like an idiot from my seat for that one. So that was my little Monday tweet. <laughs> I just wanted you to sit in that for a solid three to five seconds because I, I'm like crying. I mean, you can't see because my video is off because of uh, Wi-Fi not being the best, but I was holding in tears trying <laughs> to not laugh as you explained it. I I cannot. We we have to move on. We have to move on. We can't talk about it anymore. So for for only the second time since 2016, because I believe it mathematically officially happened last week, Cleveland is out of the playoff picture. And obviously it's been a, a long shot for a while now, but we're talking strict mathematic elimination. They are out. Uh, Cleveland's streak of eight consecutive seasons with an above 500 record is also on the line coming into this last week of the season. Yeah, and I'm going to add to the 53 people, or the 53 of you who liked that Thanksgiving Zimmer tweet, you, know, don't, you are don't. all welcome over no. to our place for Thanksgiving dinner. Just no, you, well, you if you liked it and liked it sincerely, <laughs> log off of the, the internet Turn in your router to your cable company or however you get internet and don't listen to this podcast. You can read Ryan's writing and support him, but you are not welcome after laughing at a bad joke like that. Well, well, you're welcome to our place for Thanksgiving, all 53 of you. Okay, anyway, as for the <laughs> the question that was actually brought up or the topic that was brought up. Yeah, um, so uh, DeMarlo Hale on Tuesday was, was – kind of being asked about that and referencing it that, um, you know, since Sarah Pergona has taken over this team in 2013, um, they've been a, a model of consistency. Uh, they've been one of the most consistent teams really in, quite frankly, in, in like North American sports uh, over the last uh, seven or eight years. Um, uh, 2019 and this season will be the only years um, since 2016 that they haven't made the playoffs. Um since 2013, they've had five seasons with at least 90 wins. Um, and that doesn't include last year, uh, which of course was the shortened season. And they were, they finished with a 94.5, uh, win pace. Um, so you could kind of combat as a, as a sixth. Um, but they were just kind of referencing where it's not the most important thing in the world. You know, whether or not they finish above 500, which, um, as of right now, uh, they can lose one more game through the week, which, you know, it's, it's possible that they could finish strong. Um, you know, they're, they're facing Kansas City, who, you know, they, they, a team that they lost to last night, but also one that's, that's been rebuilding. And then they, they uh, traveled to Texas to finish the season against the Rangers, who have also been rebuilding. So they certainly actually could pull this off. Um, you know, it's not the most important thing, you know, as we've, of course, referenced. Uh, you know, the front office is dealing with, you know, uh, several situations, uh, several, upcoming difficult decisions with a younger roster. And it's really more about, uh, you know, being able to just gain as much perspective, context, uh, evaluation, um, and development as possible. 
Um, as for wins and losses in the short term, while well, they're not going to change anything, you know, it obviously everybody in the clubhouse, you know, it, it would be something that, that they're kind of going for. And, um, and one thing where kind of just one of those weird statistical, you know, things, if you're for anyone who might, might care, um, the, the wins and losses in terms of, ma- of a managerial record since Terry Francona stepped aside, uh, in, in, at, at the end of July, um, those wins are, are sort of in limbo and dependent on if Francona does return to manage the team in 2022, which it would seem like he's in line to. It's just depending on, on his own, you know, rehab process and, and, and his health and kind of where he stands in the spring. Uh, but if he does return, these wins and losses, um, for the last two months will be uh, credited to, to his overall record. If he doesn't return, they would go to DeMarlo Hale. Um, so that's, you know, just one more kind of oddity from this season, just with, with everything that the team has dealt with. And that's, you know, talking about injuries and how they derailed the season. They've also been without, you know, their, their manager for the last two months, who is probably, you know, while this can never be quantified, it's probably one of the, you know, better manage, uh, managers in baseball, obviously a, a future Hall of Famer. Um, and, you know, someone who likely is, you know, one of the, the better, uh, strategical advantages from a manager in, in the game, at least over, over the last several years. And, um, you know, he's also been out. So there's just been, you know, a lot of things that just kind of snowballed. Uh, but they're, you know, they're hoping to keep the streak of hive of consecutive seasons with at least a 500 record. They can lose one more time. Um, again, though, it's, is, isn't the most important thing, but it's one of those kind of secondary goals and, uh, sort of something to focus on to close out the season for those in the, in the clubhouse. Well, off mic, before we recorded this podcast today, Ryan and I had a little who's on first banter going back and forth because we were talking about what we were going to discuss on this week's episode. And I said, we should talk about Shane Bieber pitching on Friday. And Ryan said, no, he's actually pitching tomorrow. And I said, no, I meant last Friday, but we're going to talk about both because they're obviously both relevant as we are recording this on Wednesday, September 29th. So, Yes, Ryan is correct. Shane Bieber is scheduled to pitch tomorrow, September 30th, and he did pitch last Friday. I was also correct. Cleveland lost one to nothing against the White Sox. Bieber retired all nine hitters he faced in his first start for Cleveland since June 13th. So, uh, Ryan, and, and we're going to talk about where you were on Friday, which was covering the rubber ducks in their Northeast Championship Series. But in the days since Shane Bieber came back and made his return, I guess just what have the discussions been and what did he say anything kind of like that going into the start tomorrow now well i mean just from a a standpoint of you know his health and 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 being cautious with his health and his health being the the number one priority um it went pretty much perfectly uh he he breezed through three innings it it could not have gone better um and that outing and uh, the outing that will be thursday night um it's it's really about just kind of gaining as much context as possible and, and and him being able to get feedback from his body in terms of how he feels, how he bounces back and where he is heading into any any sort of off season program. Um, you know, it wasn't I there were some people who were kinda of asking, you know, why why is Shane Bieber returning? And it has nothing to do with twenty twenty one, quite frankly. It's really just about uh the winter and, and heading into the spring in twenty twenty two and just really being able to figure out where he is, um, putting him in that atmosphere uh, once the medical team feels like he's ready to do that, um, which they eventually did sign off on that. 
But once he's at that point, being able to get him into that atmosphere, uh, allowing him to, to really let it go, still being cautious with his pitch count, um, and, and, you know, still, of course, watching him very closely and making sure that everything is in line. Um, but the, the initial outing last Friday um, went about as well as it could have gone. Um, and tomorrow night, you know, he'll, he'll still likely be on a, a very short leash, uh, but he'll be able to get out there and, and kind of get some more context about where he stands. Um, cause again, this is really the first time as a, as a professional where he's, he's dealt with a, a lengthy injury like this. He, with a, with a shoulder strain that kept him out for a few months. Um, so this is kind of the first time, um, that, that he's dealt with this. So there, there are a lot of new and moving parts to this and, you know, him being able to get out there with something that the team felt was beneficial really moving forward. Nothing, nothing in terms of urgency for 2021. All right. So I just teased it about a minute ago. So not, not a very effective tease in the terms of media, but on Friday night, Ryan was at the rubber ducks as they swept the Northeast championship series on Friday. Bo Naylor won that game with a walk-off single and your whole lead to your story was kind of about how fitting it was that it was him. And a big part of that was because he hadn't had a hit in his 18 at bats prior to that one. Yeah, baseball tends to find you. Um, it just has that knack where if something happens during a game and, you know, player X has to play in right field and he's never played in right field before, it just always seems like that first inning he'll get two absolute lasers hit out to right field and, and he'll have to try to field them. Um, or if you're struggling, it just feels like every little bounce goes against you. Um, every little, uh, you know, 50-50 play happens to go against you, or you end up, you know, at the plate in, in the game's biggest moment. And that's what happened with Bo Naylor, who's just really struggled, you know, offensively um, for the most part since being de- uh, promoted to double A, but especially over the last few weeks, uh, really through the double A playoffs. Um, and he, he entered that at bat, you know, 0 for 18. And he comes up with the bases loaded with with the championship on the line with the rubber ducks able to clinch. And he, uh, ropes a single down the right field line to win it. And it's one of those moments where, yeah, the game found him. You know, they found the, the game found the struggling hitter just like it always seems to do. Uh, but, you know, he was able to kind of re- reverse those fortunes. And, um, you know, that one hit will make up for a lot of, uh, you know, struggles and a, a few weeks of not being able to contribute to, um, really a, a, a pretty significant winning streak where this, this team got really hot right, right at the right time. And, um, kind of came together at the right time. And, you know, Bo Naylor was one of the only hitters kind of left out of that until he came up with the biggest hit of the season. Um, so that was kind of his his sort of redemption moment and, and being able to contribute, which he, you know, of course loved. And, you know, that entire game uh, ended up being a, a, a pretty crazy game where they were down 5 nothing, heading into the eighth and um, just quickly came back. Um, had a had a solo home run uh, early in, in the ninth inning to tie it. And then Bo Naylor, ended up winning it. Um, but, you know, for, for one of Cleveland's higher ranked prospects, I think he's number six, according to MOB pipeline now. Um, you know, that was, it, it was a, a nice way to cap a, a season and a nice way to cap a recent stretch that hadn't gone exactly as he wanted to, but you know, that, that one hit can kind of make up for it. All right. We've made it through another week of talking Cleveland baseball, which now means it's time to advance Ryan's agenda to turn this into a pop culture podcast as well. Uh, Ryan, what are you watching this week? Because I know what I'm excited to talk about, but you haven't seen the the show, so I I know you haven't. Uh, We started, there's a documentary on, I'm going to forget his name now. 
documentary on Netflix uh, with the the case with multiple personalities uh, from oh, Columbus. I saw uh, that. I'm for, I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head, but it's, it's it. keep talking. Okay, it's it's really um, uh, kind of fascinating. Uh, so we're we're one episode into that. Still watching only only murders in the building, which again I would recommend. Uh, um, I think that's on Hulu for those who have Hulu. The twenty four faces of Billy Mulligan. Milligan. Yes. Milligan, not Mulligan, Milligan, Monsters Inside. Yeah, uh, very interesting. So we're, we're, we're gonna keep watching that, um, kind of this week and, and into next week once the, once the season's done. It's gonna be a lot more time for pop culture pretty soon. I know. We should just like come and meet once a week and talk about what we're watching. Like, no structure, no anything else, just time to, to talk about what shows we're watching. Well, I am excited for the Many Saints of Newark to come out, which premieres this Friday in theaters and on HBO Max. Ryan has not watched The Sopranos, and I know because I've bullied him about this in the past, um, but I'm very excited. I started watching The Sopranos way too young. They would be on, um, an edited version of them would be on A&E on like Sunday mornings or early afternoons. So I have been watching that show since I was like 13 and I can't tell you how many times I've rewatched it or whatever, but I'm very excited for the prequel movie of that. And Ryan probably won't see it because like, how do you see a prequel when you haven't seen the show? I feel like you wouldn't enjoy it even if you do see it. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of references that would that I wouldn't get, although it, it, I would kind of be watching it in order then, but it's weird for a show that I haven't seen. I've seen the final scene of the show like 14 times just from watching uh, like award shows or anything else with like, or, like being on like Twitter. And, like, yeah. Else. Yeah. It's I've a also seen it spoofed like 40 times. Yeah. And we're not going to ruin it because we are a spoiler free podcast. Um, I did write my, fi- the last paper I ever wrote in college, I wrote on the Sopranos for an English class. Don't know how I did it. Don't know how I finessed it, but I did. And I got an A. Um, but I I do think you, if you do think you want to watch it, I was just reading a review, and there is a pretty big spoiler right off the bat in the movie if you haven't watched the show. Um, and it's not about the last scene of the show, but it is about two of the main characters, and especially one character who, I'll just say his fate in the show, I guess. <laughs> so... I would maybe not watch it and maybe just go and burn through the 86 episodes or however many there are as quick yeah. as possible and then watch this. Yeah. I, I don't know if this situation, it, I, I guess it sort of depends who's directing it and, and who the writers are and, and all of that. But in David general, Chase, I try to, David Chase is who created the show. Okay. And, perfect. Okay. So then, yeah. yeah. So then like, I normally try to kind of respect the order that things were coming out in and kind of like that journey that, the writers and the directors want to take you on. Yeah. So I would watch the show first uh, because the movie is, of course, um, sort of assuming that you've seen the show, most likely. And, and I'm sure you could watch the movie without seeing the show and get most of it, but also that there are going to be some serious references that will add some context if you've seen the show, and that's kind of probably assuming. Entourage sort of did something similar, obviously on a different level than, than, than a show like The Sopranos, but um, kind of something similar where it, it, it of course helps. So I try to kind of respect that path, if that makes sense, I guess. 
it is funny that to even hear Entourage, and I, I watched all of Entourage, and I saw those that movie. Was, were there two movies? Did I make that up in my mind, or were there two Entourage movies? Did we only get one? No, just the one. At least that I'm aware of. I was like, have I gone crazy? Did I imagine that there were two? No. Uh, Okay, yeah. I mean, I did watch that series. Uh, It is not. You are correct. I'm glad that you prefaced it by saying it is nowhere near the count. Different show. Like, totally different feel. Yes. But, you know. Yes, exactly. Well, that's what we're looking forward to. Thank you for coming along on this journey with us. And you can find all of Ryan's work, number one, on his social media, at by Ryan Lewis. You can also find his bad jokes there. You can also head over to BeaconJournal.com. Under the Cleveland Guardians tab, we are getting closer and closer to that being the official name. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42. And until next time, check out Ryan planning his Thanksgiving-themed humor. I'll see you all there. Pretty cool.